The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they manage to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Drive Podcast, where we explore mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. My name is John from Busfield. I'm here with my co-host, as always, Kuna. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing depression, joy, and everything in between. Uh, we also have a Q&A at the end, uh, so around 3.30. I think we're going to try to start the Q&A portion, so anyone who wants to join in and, and uh, ask some questions on, we're doing this on Twitter Spaces Live as well, um, they are welcome to. We're going to record this whole thing, but we're only going to use the, uh, the first portion, the non-Q&A uh, to post to Apple, Spotify, and YouTube after the podcast. So for those who, who are going to ask questions, uh, we do not keep those as a recorded element of what's posted afterwards. We did uh, our last episode, we interviewed Levi Cooper, professional wrestler Levi Cooper, who goes by the wrestling name Tucker. Um, that was a fantastic interview. It was really great to, to get feedback from him on, on the things he's been involved in. And um, we, we will post that tonight. I think it's on YouTube already, but it'll be posted tonight to uh, Spotify and Apple for those who want to listen into that. Uh, we have a lot of other athletes coming on the podcast uh, over the next, you know, four to six weeks as well. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, but today we're talking about um, depression, joy, and everything in between. You know, depression was the number one topic request on Twitter when I had uh, posted a little ways back, probably six weeks ago. Um, got a lot of feedback from people either on the post or a lot of direct messages uh, about wanting to learn more about depression. Um, I'm not surprised by that. It's a, you know, it's an issue that affects a lot of people either directly or indirectly i think over the last two years that's even more so been something that a lot of people have had to deal with just because of uh, the adjustment uh, to covid or losing loved ones during covid both are sources possible sources of depression which we're going to get to in a little bit um when we're discussing mood we always like to discuss the concept of mood kind of on a spectrum you know it's very easy to get kind of pigeonholed and talk about depression only and not discuss all, you know the, the wide range uh, as it relates to mood and i think it's important to maintain that that wide range perspective um so we talk a little bit about what depression is quickly, you know, what it is, the data behind it, that kind of thing. Um, real quick, just to kind of get into the specific elements of the diagnosis. I think most people kind of typically know what depression is, but we'll go through the, the quick recap, you know, in terms of the symptoms to look for, um, because awareness of what to look for and understanding that you're dealing with depression, if you are, is a pretty key first step. So usually to meet the criteria for this diagnosis, you got to be experiencing five of the following. Uh, one is depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day, uh, such as being sad, empty, or hopeless. Uh, there's also re typically a reduced interest in activities. So activities that, you know, we might have enjoyed before, all of a sudden we no longer enjoy. Uh, there's typically significant weight changes, either weight gain or weight loss that are not related to dieting. Uh, you can also experience sleep issues. So sleep disturbances are common. That could be uh, not being able to fall asleep. It could be not being able to stay asleep. It could be waking up in the middle of the night, et cetera. Uh, slower movement and thinking is one possible symptom. Fatigue of energy nearly every day uh, can come with depression. Feelings of worthlessness or excessive guilt is one possible symptom. And then recurrent thoughts of death, such as a passive or active uh, suicidal ideation. 
Um, so those are all the different things that go into depression. This is a pretty big issue. Obviously, it affects around a little over 17 million, uh, 17.3 million adults in the United States in 2017, according to the Institute of Mental Health. That's 7.1% of all adults in the U.S. Again, over the last two years, I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm pretty safe to assume that's much, much higher just because of what it's gone through with the pandemic. Um, this is highest among individuals aged 18 to 25, believe it or not, um, at 13.1% of those age 18 to 25 typically experience are experiencing depression. Um, and again, we would expect these numbers to be higher in 2022. Well, 7.1% of adults have experienced depression in 2017. I don't know what the number is um, right now, but it's got to be higher than that just because of what we've all had to deal with over the last two to three years. Um, you know, so clearly depression is an issue that, you know, really affects a lot of people. So when it comes to you know, we, won't, we don't want to get too hung up on the diagnostic criteria. We want to really want to focus on what can people do? You know, what can they do if they're dealing with this kind of thing? And John, I'm going to kick it to you in a second, but I just want to preface this by saying when you're, if you're dealing with depression, um, you know, it's, the first step is really understanding where it's coming from. Um, if, if you're battling anything in life and you don't know the direction it's coming from, you're sort of just swinging blind. You don't know uh, which way to go to start. And that's a huge disadvantage. And I think that can be something that therapy helps with, um, you know, just in terms of not necessarily because a the therapist is, is some amazing genius. It, it's just because therapy gives people a chance to talk out loud. And a lot of times people struggle to make sense of all the, the thoughts that are going on in their head, particularly when they're depressed. There can be a lot of negative thoughts. It's hard to make sense of that just internally with our own internal dialogue without hearing that out loud. But how often do we talk to ourselves out loud when we're by ourselves? That's not a very common thing. So therapy can be very helpful because just you getting that stuff out and unpacking that stuff and then hearing yourself talk often provides a lot of the relief because it makes sense to you when you hear it. Um, so where it's coming from is really right. You have to know the directions that depression is from in order to fight it accurately. That's a big part of treatment. You know, when we're, John, when we're working with people and we're trying to diagnose depression and understand how it works for them, the first thing we're looking for is, um, you know, what could be causing this, right? Because sometimes it's one thing, sometimes it's a lot of different things, right? For instance, like family history and a, and a hereditary track can, can cause depression. It might run in your family. Uh, life changes and adjustment, very common, right? Loss of a loved one as well. So life changes could be like loss of a loved one. That's also grief. It could also be changing a job. It could be moving. It could be a global pandemic, right? There's a lot of things that lead to adjustment periods and adjustment periods can have symptoms of depression. And if they don't go away, that typically turns into depression. Um, so we said grief and loss of a loved one, trauma, right? Going through trauma often leads to depression. Uh, medications can have side effects that cause depression, although medications are, are often a helpful part of treating depression. So that's a, a bit of a catch-22, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, loneliness and lack of connection. You know, I think this is one of the big things we've seen with Twitter and, and spaces that people are more connected, which I, I love because I think it's going to ward off the loneliness that some people might experience. Otherwise, serious illness, substance misuse, and anxiety uh, are other mental health, uh, mental health challenges that can cause depression. So there's a lot of different angles that this can come at. And you can imagine just from hearing all those, it's hard enough even in therapy to figure out which of those might be happening, which combination might be happening, let alone if a person's trying to figure that out all by themselves, right? So even if a person knows what to look for in terms of if they're depressed, it might be very hard for them to figure out like, all right, where is this coming from? Because if you don't know that, it's very hard to take the first step, right? So for instance, if someone's having, you know, depressive symptoms from grief or loss of a loved one, that might be handled a lot differently than if they're having depressive symptoms from substance use. You know, we, we're going to handle that in therapy differently. And I think their approach to getting those symptoms to come down, it has to be handled differently. So that's the first step. The answer to that stuff, right, the direction of where that what's causing the depression is going to dictate the approach to treating and reducing depression quite a bit. Um, so 
you know, what can we do about it? Let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, I know I want to have a quick disclaimer, like when it comes to mental health tips and John, I'm going to kick it to you to talk about like maybe some three to five things that you would suggest. It, it's hard to have a one size fits all approach to this. As we mentioned, every person's different. Their cause of depression could be different. Um, so it's tough to kind of come up with things that are, that apply to everybody. Um, but we're going to do our best to come up with the, the things we tend to look for or work with clients on or, or tell the clients uh, in case people find that helpful. Um, quick disclaimer on mental health tips. A lot of tools and strategies with mental health are easy to understand, but very, very hard to execute, right? And one of the reasons why they're hard to execute is that people tend to have this mindset of like, it can't be that easy, right? It can't just be as easy as being daily or as doing X, Y, Z. And the answer is it is and it isn't. I mean, it's easy to comprehend, but it doesn't mean it's easy to execute these things. And the, the biggest examples of that are like working out and eating right. How many times have you, we all heard people say like, hey, if you want to get healthier, physical health, mental health, whatever, you got to work out more often, exercise more often and eat, change your diet. Right. Um, that stuff is very easy to comprehend when someone says it and it's valid, very hard to execute. How many people can honestly say that that their exercise routine and their nutrition is on point all the time? I know I can't. I mean, I, I do this stuff for a living and it's a constant battle. I'm, I'm always going through phases where I'm doing better than other times. And then life takes over or X, Y, Z thing happens. And it, we're all human. Right. So I think um, it's easy to understand how to comprehend some of these things. It's very, very hard to put a lot of the strategies for fighting depression or any mental health challenge into practice. That requires a lot of consistency, a lot of habit forming, a lot of support, you know, not just self-support, but also support from your, uh, your environment, family and friend group. Um, so it's, it, it's a lot, right? It's a lot to deal with. Um, all, all, you know, of course, we're advocates of seeking professional help when it comes to this kind of stuff. Uh, as I mentioned, medication can be a piece of the puzzle. We're not we're not psychiatrists, you know, John and I are licensed therapists and we're not, we don't go to med school for that. You know, we go and get a graduate degree and we work under um, a licensed professional for three, usually two to three years to get supervision. So it's a very long track, but we don't go to medical school where you have to learn about medication and the effect of medication on the body. And it's a very specific thing. So psychiatrists can prescribe medication. Primary care doctors can prescribe medication, um, but not your typical therapist is not going to be pres uh, prescribing medication. So that's not something we're going to cover today, unless someone is in the audience who is a licensed psychiatrist. I know, at least in the Psychedelics Anonymous community, um, you know, Dr. Owen Muir is someone that talks quite a bit in some of the spaces, and he's a psychiatrist. So we're going to have him on, I think, probably early April. So maybe we'll, we'll save the medication question for him. But, um, you know, let's, so let's talk a little bit about what can people do. So, John, you know, I'll kick it to you first. Maybe kind of start with your, you know, few three to five kind of things where if someone comes to you and they're dealing with depression uh, and we know we've kind of screened for what is the source of their depression, what are some of the things that apply, tend to apply to the most people that people would find kind of helpful to hear? Yeah, absolutely. I think you touched on a couple of big things that, you know, when we're talking about mental health, it's not one size fits all. And many of the things that I'm going to go over will work for some and not work for others. You know, the things that I'm gonna talk about specifically today, I've found the most level of success with, but everyone's treatment and everyone's treatment planning and journey is different. I uh, just wanna focus on the things that I know have been both research-based, but also have found the most effectiveness when working with individual clients in this space. I would say that there is a large population that comes in is sort of talking about depression and highlights some of the areas, Jotham, that you mentioned, like there's a life change or a death. I've also found that a lot of people coming in who are feeling depressed or exhibiting symptoms of depression have no understanding of their why. They don't know what's going on. Um, and that's a lot of what we look to explore. Um, and like Jotham said, you know, we aren't, we aren't professionals to speak about the biological deficiencies or pieces like that that might happen within the brain. But oftentimes when there is no why, a lot of times the, um, the introduction of medication can be an important pace, 
important place to get them to like just a baseline so that the work that we're doing is actually accessible. So um, again, we're going to, we'll have Dr. Muir on to speak more specifically about that because it's not within our range, but it is one of the things I wanted to mention as a sort of important part of um, important part of treatment. As we look to try to just normalize the introduction and the presence of medication and treatment, it's, there's still sort of a little bit of a stigma around doing that and just wanting to normalize important. So what we're thinking, I think Jotham, you mentioned it too, that I think having the understanding of you know, what you're trying to swing at in the dark is really important. So you kind of know how to be focused in on what you're trying to treat. And I think, you know, the things that I always look to, I always look to induce is sort of three things. I'm going to go through them individually, but I look to understand perspective and typically switch and shift perspective or broaden. We talk a lot about um, individuals' purpose and goals, both short and long-term. I'll talk about the importance of understanding both. Um, and then Jotha mentioned exercise, nutrition, um, breath work as well. Sort of, I sort of put those all together. Uh, and the way that I address all three is we talk about each individual thing. And then we also look about doing this sort of a routine-based habit-forming modality. So not just a uh, hey, yeah, I'll exercise every once in a while, or maybe I'll take a look at my perspective, or maybe I'll review my goals. But rather than waiting for it to happen naturally, structuring it into the part of your day so that it's a purposeful activity that you're looking to do. Um, and I sort of refer to this as prescribing joy, um, but being a little bit more meaningful. Um, the word in the language that I usually use with clients is, you know, nothing will change unless something changes. So um, we, I look to try to insert little changes into people's days and you know as easy as it would be or as great as it would be for this to be a light switch solution come in and flip a switch and everything's all better it's typically not as dramatic as that it is baby steps towards success and i think that's part of the perspective that i start to build with with clients that you know you're coming to me at one of the lowest moments of your life and as much as i wish i could just take that all away it's going to be a journey it's going to be a path and it's going to take steps to get there not a giant leap um, and so a part of the perspective building is, and Jotham, you can, is a, definitely a jargon alert. We use a lot of what's called CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. And it looks to sort of address maybe thoughts in your brain or thoughts that you're having that aren't actually based in reality or rational thought. And so part of the perspective shifting is to help them understand that. And Jotham spoke about the importance of just having a space to talk out loud and hear yourself. And Oftentimes, as they're explaining their existence and talking about what what is going on for them, they'll catch themselves in the moment and like be, oh, wait, that doesn't that doesn't really quite make sense. So sometimes it happens for them. They can actually hear themselves make a statement that doesn't make sense. Oftentimes, you have to sort of address those and challenge those intermittently um, to help them broaden their perspective. So that's usually the first one, me gaining an understanding of where they're at. What are they coming to me with? and helping them broaden their perspective of what their existence looks like. Oftentimes, the sky is falling. Everything is terrible. All is wrong. Nothing is going well. And helping even understand to broaden of like, well, you got out of bed today and you went to school. That's a win. That's great. That's, that's monumental. And for them, they might not feel that, but you have to be able to work with them and help them understand that given the circumstances of where they're at mentally and where they are, that is a win. And that is something that we can build off of. And if the expectation is that I'm going to just feel my happiest all the time, it's not a realistic expectation. We can't always be happy. In fact, I would argue that always being happy is not a good thing. Um, we have to learn how to manage the lows and the highs appropriately. So part of the beginning is really just helping them broaden their perspective and understanding of like where they're at. And once I have them with that broadened sense and being able to sort of look a little bit outside of themselves and see the bigger picture, 
I help to try to understand like what are some of their goals that they must. And I break this up into what I call three P's. I talked about this previously, but I, I, I focus on product, process, and purpose. So product is what you want. Process is how are you going to get there? And purpose is why is this all important? Um, and in the beginning, especially with major depressive disorders and especially like real acute depression, I really focus in on some short-term goals. What do you want to achieve today? What do you want to achieve tomorrow? And even if it is just as simple as I want to get out of bed today, awesome. Let's come up with a plan and de devise a process of how you plan on a combat. And it again, it might seem so minimal, but that one action for that person might help to be a domino to the next one. You know, hey, I got myself out of bed and I actually, it gave me enough energy to make sure that I ate a really great breakfast. And you know what? I ate a really great breakfast and I wanted to continue that. And so I gym and I exercised or I went for a walk outside and I exercised. Those little sparks, those little moments of productivity and, and self-care for yourself can actually become a domino effect. And so I really look to focus in on like some short-term goals. Well, especially, I love that you mentioned the domino effect because I think a lot of people and depression tricks you, right? We're going to get to that a little bit. Like depression is so subtle and how it tricks you into thinking things are, are one way when they're really not that way. But one of the ways in which it does that is it convinces people that they need to wait to be motivated. Like I don't feel motivated. And this is called like emotional, what we call emotional reasoning, meaning I'm making decisions based on how I feel, not based on what's right for me, right? If we're making decisions based on how we feel, particularly in a negative direction, it means that if we feel sad, if we feel tired, then that means I'm going to stay inside and I'm going to be inactive. And it's a lot of people are, you know, on the mind where it's like, well, if I was motivated, I'd be motivated and I'd want to go do it. And a lot of times that's not how it happens. We have to kind of jumpstart that motivation. And when you're depressed, you know, the, the scale of change, like you mentioned, is so small. And we have to respect that and, and give ourselves credit for the little changes that we make, right? Getting out of bed in the morning. For some people, when they're dealing with depression, that is the goal for the day. Like, if, because if they can start with that, then the next day they'll be able to do a little bit more. Even later that day, they might be able to do a little bit more because there is a domino effect, right? If we're able to do the first step, it boosts our energy, particularly when it comes to like physical activity, right? This is where I would, I would encourage people when it comes to depression to be aware of the key difference between feeling run down and tired when sick from a physical illness, let's say, versus feeling those symptoms due to depression because they are two very opposite ends of the spectrum. And most people you know, what does our body tell us? What do, what do people tell us when we're, our doctors tell us when we're feeling sick physically, right? Where let's say you have the flu and you're run down and you have no energy. The way to heal is actually to be inactive, right? It's to let your body rest so that you can boost your, your immune system back up and be able to overcome that and get healthy again. And I think psychologically, when we're depressed, you tend to feel the same way. And I think we, it's very easy to slip into the mindset of, okay, well, when I do that, I'm supposed to rest. So I feel the same way. I'm going to rest. And it's the exact opposite. You know, you, you, with depression, in order to you know, overcome that and reverse the tide of, of the mood issues that you're struggling with, we have to be able to like take action. And that's where like what's called behavioral activation comes in, whether it's exercise or sleep, changing our habits and sleep patterns or nutrition and things like that. That's about being active and actually doing things that are going to jumpstart our, our mood, right? Boosting our mood organically by our, with our own actions. And then the domino effect actually takes place after that, right? And so you also mentioned one thing, you mentioned perspective, which is so key. One thing I try to work with clients on is understanding that they have to view the, the depression they're dealing with is not them and they are not the depression, right? And that's really key because when you're depressed and you're, you know, I like to like make it a visual, right? When you're depressed, it's almost like you're carrying like a high sack on your back and it's so heavy. So like walking is, is difficult. Getting out of bed is difficult. Wanting to do anything feels like a challenge. And if you view that as you, guess what? 
right? Everything you're struggling with, you're going to associate with your own identity instead of as something external that you're trying to compete with. And that's really key. So I don't know if you want to uh, have any thoughts on that, John. Yeah, I think one of, one of the things, a couple points that you make that's really important and um, how I frame it with clients too is like you, you brought up the concept of motivation and, and I have a lot of conversations about doing this and I take a different approach talking about it because, you know, if you're talking to clients who are coming to you and they don't have motivation to do anything, if you're like, well, hey, let's work on your motivation, it's sort of like setting up for, for failure in the sense of, well, they're no, it's not present. And, and for motivation to, to occur, there has to be an ingredient for a desire to want to do that. And for a lot of people with motivate, with depression, it, 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 it's too consuming. You talk about that 100-pound weight on their back. It's, it's too heavy for them to get out of their own way. And so we, I talk a lot about, like, dedication, discipline, commitment. To wanting to, to 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 make even minuscule changes, and that's something that they can get a, on board with a little bit more because they're not seeking motivation, right? They're not looking for it. If I'm not motivated, then I can't activate and do these behavioral changes that I do. But I do have ownership of disciplining myself to be like, okay, I'm going to wake up in the morning every single morning, or at least as many times as I can, and I have more control over that because then again, to to your point, the perspective starts to shift of like this isn't this isn't me. This is I have control over doing these these different things, and I can compete against this depression rather than this. I am I am depression. I hear that all the time, and that's part of the perspective shifting of like you aren't depression. You are feeling depressed, and there are ways and there are behaviors that we can activate that will help you to treat yourself and work through some of these different things. And so that's definitely one of the that I, that I look to do. And um, just quickly too, on, on the exercise piece, I think again, nail on the head when you were talking about um, earlier that it seems like, Oh yeah, like go out and run and everything will be better. And um, it seems really easy, but there's a book called spark by John Ratty, who I is an MD. I recommend anybody who's interested in more neuroscience and um, chemical, like natural chemical based treatment for depression to read it. Um, but the, essentially, the, the premise is about the importance of exercise for the brain. And when we exercise, um, we release endorphins into the brain. I know I'm going jargon alert here, so pause me if I'm going too much. Uh, but those are sort of natural painkillers for our brain. And when we exercise, people might have heard like runner's high or um, euphoria or heard things like that. And when we exercise, we actually put those chemicals into our brain naturally. Um, and again, it, like I was mentioning before, it really is that spark and it really is that first potential domino. And so that can help the rest of the day sort of fall into place. And sometimes it's exercise. Sometimes it's nutrition. Sometimes it's reviewing your goals. Sometimes it's positively speaking to yourself. Sometimes it's reaching out to a friend and finding those activation points to be that first domino is often how I work with clients to establish, okay, what is your like depression routine going to be? Uh, is it going to be, do you have access to exercising every day? Is that, is not, is that not a realistic one to do yet? That's great. Who's going to be the support person that you know you can rely on, at least in the beginning, to help you get to, to those different things? And, and building routines and habits around managing it um, has, been really, has been really effective in terms of treating people and finding those little dominoes to set off the rest of their day. No, I love that. And I think you mentioned, you know, the important thing to someone, I think like part of getting better is making sure you're not getting worse. Right. And with depression, unfortunately, it tends to be a very self-sustaining thing because depression is so heavy and it weighs on us and it makes us unmotivated. And it uh, tells us things are a certain way when maybe they're not. And it's, it's very hard to escape that. Right. And so it's very easy to succumb to the lack of motivation and to isolate and things like that. And so part of getting better is just trying to keep things at the level they're at so that you can springboard and boost them up. And talking to someone is a really key part of that, right? Not isolating socially, being able to rely on the supports that you have around you to at least try to, to jumpstart things and get a little bit of validation and support in that way so that you can kind of build off that. You also mentioned endorphins. And it, it's so key because 
like compare endorphins being like the body's natural version of, of morphine, you know, can be a huge boost uh, when it comes to mood. And you especially see this in, in men, you know, when they're dealing with depression, uh, if there's not exercise involved, it's very hard for them to, to sort of see those symptoms go the direction they need to. And compare that versus like cortisol, which is a stress hormone. And if you're depressed and you're under stress and things are getting worse and your body's releasing more and more cortisol, that is going to keep things going in the wrong direction instead of going in the direction we want to. Uh, one other point I, I would like to kind of make, and I think we're going to open it up to, to anyone who wants to kind of hop up um, and ask any questions or make any comments about, about the topic, we kind of welcome people to kind of request to speak if they want to. Um, one other thing I would say is to, it's good to focus on yourself, but to a point, right? I think initially this is especially good because when, when you're dealing with depression, you know, you want to get things in a better place. Obviously therapy can, can help um, changing things around when it comes to the way you think about yourself or your day-to-day -day life and your behavioral activation and changing your behaviors in a way that's going to boost your mood and be able to kind of create a positive domino effect, John, like you mentioned earlier, that stuff's really good. But eventually too much of a focus on the self can backfire. You know, it's like if you're overanalyzing uh, yourself and your depression, especially if you're overlapping your identity with your depression, like we just discussed earlier, um, that's something that can actually really hold you back, right? And so being able to, um, I wouldn't say I focusing away from the self doesn't necessarily mean just distraction. I think it means focusing on some other people in our life and trying to use our ability to be there for other people as a boost, right? And it's also about what we can control. You know, at the end of the day, we can do everything. John, you mentioned process. To me, process is so key with everything because it's about like, if I can identify a process as part of my plan to get from A to B, I can control the identifying of that process and my commitment to actually following through on it. I can't control the outcome, right? At the end of the day, anyone who's dealing with depression can't necessarily control that that's going to go away. We want to hope that we could, but that's not the case. All we can do is get within our control uh, to maximize the chance that we'll feel better uh, and have faith and hope that it, then that will happen. Um, but, but we can't control everything. And I think at some point it's good to step away from the stuff that we can't control, focus on what we can. So I don't know if anyone has any questions or they want to request to speak to kind of discuss this topic, feel free to raise your hand. Um, John, any other things, you know, that you want to talk about when it comes to, you know, things people can do to reduce depression? No, I think you brought up a good point too, about the, di the difference between, you know, shifting focus away from yourself and distraction. I think one of the key coping skills when I ask people about like, what have you tried or what have you, what have you like attempted to do? M most popular answer is I haven't tried anything. Um, and, and often they've actually used distraction, um, haven't been aware of it. And so long-term distraction is really ineffective, but if you're constantly analyzing, you sort of keep yourself stuck in that mentality and mode and not that you don't want to be aware of shifts and changes, but to your point, I think helping to recognize the world around you actually helps you to understand that you're not alone. There's other people that are there to support you. There's other people that might be going through similar types of experiences, which for people who have suffered or are suffering with depression, that's one of the most comforting things for them to understand is that they aren't alone and that it isn't just them. Um, that's one of the things that, that comes up often. And so helping them, to your point, kind of zoom away from themselves is an important part of the process. Um, if, once they've gained a good understanding of what's going on and some of the processes to help them, if it's just constantly dialed in, it can, to your point, actually keep them stuck. And so wanting to help them make that shift from self to, you know, outside of themselves is a really important distinction and, and a really, and, you know, it, it can be tricky in treatment, but a really important part of it. Yeah. And you mentioned um, distraction again. I think numbing is another thing people tend to do, right? Which I guess you could call a form of distraction, right? It's about, I feel 
uh, down, sad, depressed right now? How, how do I numb that? And it's understandable why people go to that because if they're kind of, if they feel like they're drowning and there's nothing in their immediate vicinity or, or environment or uh, you know network that's going to help them feel better quickly, then they look for any lifeline. And a lot of times, especially with, with men, they turn to substances as a way to numb that um, so, because they just need to feel better today. You know, and, and you feel for people that are dealing with that because it's so understandable why, because they're just in pain and they want to feel better. And there's not always an immediate solution that's going to make them feel better. Like you talked about earlier, John, that the solutions for depression are not immediate. Typically, medication tends to be um, a piece of the puzzle. And our research shows that that's an important piece. It doesn't always work for everyone. And, and especially people who, you know, minors, people whose brains aren't fully developed, it can be a little bit of a different situation. Um, but people want a solution quickly. And I think with guys, especially, they tend to numb. Uh, and that gets them through day to day, right? But also for, turns one problem into two or three uh, and leads to massive long-term issues, uh, not just in terms of personal health and mental health, but also relationships and, and uh, you know, their, their job and their family dynamic and things like that. And, you know, on the topic of, of men, I think depression can be, I don't know if people have heard of the concept of like covert versus overt depression. I think most of the time when we think about depression, we think about what I described earlier, right? The different like, you know, uh, DSM five kind of symptoms, right? Whether it's like, you know, obviously depressed mood or reduced interest in activities or feelings of, uh, you know, worthlessness or excessive guilt and, and a lot of other ones, those things tend to be there, but for guys in particular, so that's more of like an overt depression, how you might think depression typically looks, right? Someone's very sad. They're very unmotivated. They're very withdrawn. Those kind of hallmarks of depression, but for guys in particular, I think what we've, we've seen, um, is that it, it often shows up, uh, as anger. Uh, anger is like one of the most most common symptoms I look for, particularly amongst young males when I'm, when I'm looking to screen for depression. You know, if I hear a parent say like, he's just, you know, he's flipping out all the, all the time, he's extremely angry, he snaps at people. It, you know, that's not, doesn't mean that it's guaranteed to be depression. It's just a, a red flag, right? When you hear that with a male in particular, their depression might show up very differently, right? They're more likely to be angry all the time and then turn to substances as a way to cope which isn't necessarily the way some other people might deal with depression or show depression. And so sometimes it's about recognizing those signs uh, as well, including in our loved ones and things like that. So we can also talk to, again, invite anyone, you know, we're, we're talking about depression, um, you know, the spectrum of mood, I should say, you know, we talked a little bit about depression. John talked a little about the importance of prescribing joy. I think the prescribing joy aspect also relates to uh, proactive, reactive strategies when it comes to mental health in general. I think prevention is a kind of a hard sell uh, on the whole for anything. Um, but more and more, you know, John, you're someone who's spoken to the concept of prehab quite a bit in your work. Uh, and I'll let you talk about that in a second. But, you know, essentially what we're talking about is we can't always prevent depression. So this isn't to say that if we just do things proactively, it's going to prevent every person from being depressed. Um, that being said, I think especially from, from certain causes of depression, right? We talked about knowing the angle that depression is coming from or the multiple angles, right? Whether it's family history and hereditary natures, whether it's life changes and adjustment or, uh, you know, substance misuse or things like that. Um, there are things we can, to, can do preventatively that are going to keep ourselves in a good place and is going to prevent us from um, being as at risk, um, if that makes sense. So I think we're going to wrap up here. Um, again, I want to thank everyone for, for listening in. Uh, as always, we're doing a lot more of these podcast episodes on Twitter spaces. So we're, they're recorded. We are not going to keep the Q&A portion as part of the, the final portion um, that is posted to the podcast platform to YouTube. It's just going to be the first kind of, you know, 25 minutes, half hour that we talk that are going to be posted as the episode. Um, but again, we want to thank everyone else for, for coming here and for participating in this. Uh, we'll be doing this more often. Feel free to give us a follow on Twitter. 
uh, and you'll see posts about upcoming episodes. We have a lot of good guests coming on as well. And again, we had Levi on and, and we're going to post that episode tonight. Um, so for now, I want to thank everyone for listening to the Grim Dive podcast for this uh, discussion on depression, joy, and everything in between. And we'll be back next week.